We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast, where you think before you love. Please feel free to subscribe and listen on Anchor, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Breakers, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Deezer, or your browser. Be sure to share a link with a colleague, family member, or friend. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to the sensitive nature of subject matter. Think before you love is the Romantic Truth Podcast motto. You will not get slapped here, we promise. Have you ever had a conversation with a conversational narcissist? That's an interesting conversation that you will have. And this is what we're going to talk about in this particular segment. Now, what is a conversational narcissist? This is an individual that deliberately takes any conversation they have and make it about them, make it about their achievements, their setbacks. In other words, all eyes on me. I'm more important than anyone else. Now, this happens in all kinds of settings. You've probably seen it where a person may have been giving a seminar or doing a speech or something of that sort. And then you have someone that comes in, a heckler. It could be a comedian that's telling a joke on stage and his heckler is in the background. Well, see that disturbance? They're trying to get that attention. And once they get that, what happens? They see all eyes are on them and they don't stop. They're going to give out their whole little spiel or speech, right? Well, narcissists do the same thing. They go out and they deliberately want to be in the limelight. The reason why they're so dismissive is because no matter what anyone tells them about their plight, their situation, their story, their narrative, you name it, opinion, they feel as though it's not valid and not warranted because it didn't come from them. So therefore, They might give the patronizing nod and then just cut you off in the middle of a conversation. And they don't care about bogarting conversations, by the way. They will hijack a conversation of any sort because it's all about them. Now, all of this uh, prowess that they have does nothing but mask insecurity. And this is the way they do it. The more insecure they are, the more ardent they will be with their narcissism because they have been told in the past at some point that they were not good enough or something of this sort where they felt inferior and so this is a way for them to counter that by making others feel the way they felt and you'll find that in life in general this is one of the hardest things to go through life and navigate around people who want to make you feel worse than they do or just like they did because for some reason they are under the impression that you should feel my pain. This is one challenge that you will have when you're looking for a relationship and you're out there dating. Now, another thing to keep in mind with these types of individuals They can also be individuals that want to express themselves 
and they were repressed earlier in past relationships. In other words, and we don't think about this a lot, a lot of the narcissists that we see are actually passive narcissists, meaning that these individuals may have just sat down quietly in a relationship to cope with it, and now that they have an opportunity to get into another relationship, they're going to take the lead. They're going to be the narcissist. They're going to take on the characteristics of their past oppressor. And so in this situation, if someone would like to interject a thought in the conversation, this person will rudely say, well, let me finish, let me finish, I'm talking, let me finish. This is very condescending. And a lot of people who don't know how to express themselves don't realize how offensive this is. And once this happens, they wonder why they don't get a second date. They wonder why their partner's not interested in them. And it's because of the fact that that person is not considerate. See, there should be breaks in conversations. And the reason why you have this is so that when you're speaking, you want to see whether or not your partner is listening, to see whether you can get some feedback, some input from them. What is their opinion? You can ask open-ended questions to them. Well, what do you think? So that they can come back with that and answer, and they feel more participatory. But a lot of times they don't do that. What do they do? They talk over them. They talk down to them. And these people usually don't even have a clue who their audience is when they're talking to them because they treat everybody as if they're beneath them or inferior to them. And this, of course, causes some major mistakes for them in the relationship. Now, it is not uncommon for these conversational narcissists to talk themselves out of a good relationship. They could have said all the right things while they were chatting and getting to know each other online. And now that they're actually going to meet and see each other, things are totally different. This individual may say, oh, well, you know, I got to go and put my best foot forward. Well, my best foot forward is going to be my foot that I put on their neck. And this is where they view it. So you may come out, meet this person. They're cordial in the beginning, and then they start out. So you may go to dinner. And that individual say, well, I don't know why you're going to eat that. That's trash here. Why don't you eat this? Because what they're used to finding are people who they can control and who they can put in their back pocket. Now, you'll notice that with these folks also, the friends that they have, more than likely they're going to be subordinate. They're going to be people that's just going to go along with it and they'll say something like, well, you know, so-and-so's that way. Either love them or leave them, right? Well, the reason why they're doing that is because they benefit from that person. And how they benefit from the narcissist is that lack of self-esteem they had that made them follow that narcissist is the very thing that they want to study. So they'll know how to be more charismatic, more narcissistic. In other words, where they will feel more confident in themselves and in their views. You'll find that weaker people follow 
people like that. And with a narcissist also, they will talk to you any kind of way. This is the reason why, if you notice on this show, when I thank you as listeners, I show you respect. I read your emails. And the reason why I do this is because of the fact that you are the reason why the show is made. Now, a lot of other platforms, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) they don't do that. What they would do instead is call their listeners idiots. Um, They would tell them, well, you know, you need to come to this platform and this is where my show is going to be. And they'll say something like, I don't trust any of you. Um, I hate all of you. I hate this. I hate that. And it's sad when a person gets to that point. But see, they've taken the audience for granted. And so just the way they treat you as a listener, I want you to think about it. That would be the way they would treat a lover. That's the way they would treat themselves. That's the way they do treat themselves. So it resonates. It doesn't stop just with the way they treat a person. You have to understand, they treat themselves that way too. See, a narcissist never wants to be wrong. They never want to lose. They never want to capitulate. Donald Trump, even though he lost the election, how long did he lie about winning it? How long did he say that it was corrupt? Because as he saw it, he didn't win, so therefore, there's something flawed. The reason being is that he's always been in a position where money, power, and influence has helped him turn things in his favor. And when he could not do it because it conflicted with the law, oh, that was a problem. There was a problem. And see, that's one of the things we have to come to grips with. Because, see, if it wasn't for the laws, a person like Donald Trump would have been able to probably take over the whole country. Dictatorship. And see, narcissists don't have a governor when it comes down to when something is too much, when they've gone over the limit. They're going to go as far as anyone will let them go. Because the way they look at it, you remember I always told you two things that people will protect, an addiction and an insecurity. Those are two things that they will always protect no matter what. Because in both cases, it's embarrassing. They'll be exposed. And not only that, what does it do for them? It makes them vulnerable. Now, the other thing we have to look at too with the narcissist is this. The partner that they have, they're going to praise and of course they're going to criticize. Because see, those are the levers of control for those individuals. See, for some people, it's blame, shame, and guilt, which is more of a softer approach, more feminine approach to handling situations where they want to manipulate a person. Women do it all the time. However, when it comes to something that the person is a narcissist, you usually see males do this. They will make the woman feel inferior and keep her where she's in this, on this hamster wheel, trying to right herself, trying to get everything correct. 
and he has no intentions of that happening. And women do this too with men. You can't do anything right. Once they have you at that point in that mindset, ladies, what they're trying to do then is to get you to agree with them. And when you agree with them, guess what you do? You become complicit, and guess what you do? You try harder to please that person. And that individual can care less whether you please them or not. They're doing that in order to see how much authority and power they have over you. And then when they praise you, they want to see how much gratitude they receive. And what they're looking for is a level of gratitude and loyalty that can never be challenged. In other words, you will go this, that, and the third for them. So if that narcissist knows that he's with a weak woman, for instance, and he tells her, you know, maybe you need to wear this outfit or this dress or whatever. It would look better on you. And you may have some issues about your body, maybe a little body dysmorphia. And you're thinking, well, okay, well, maybe I'll try this. In order to appease him so that you'll feel better about yourself and you'll go forward. You go on and you do this. And then he'll say, well, you know, I don't know if you look good in that. You're not sexy enough. You're not appealing to me, blah, 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 blah. But with this criticism, it's going to hurt. And then you're going to try to do better. And a lot of times what the narcissist will do is to tear you down in that way in order for you to overcompensate by having sex with them. Well, since I'm so horrible and I don't look that good, I'll just smother him with sex, emotions. I'll love bomb him. And that's how I will win this. And in actuality, that narcissist wanted to trigger you in that direction in the first place. Now, there's another aspect here, too, that we have to come to grips with. Women will do this to men when it comes down to jobs and income. Criticize him for not making enough money. He goes out there and gets a second job, third job, or whatever. And he's working, and she has him where she wants him. And then she starts making her demands. And then starts criticizing, you know, now you're working. It's great that you're working now, but you're not spending enough time with me. Well, I got all these hours, and I'm trying to do all this stuff for you. I understand that, but you don't have time for me. Now, by doing this, this person has to do what? Reevaluate, reassess, and foster doubt within their behavior. This is the thing that a narcissist will use on everyone. The fostering of doubt. Because that is what will keep you jumping higher than you could ever jump before. And it's what also keeps them in a place of power. That's the way that works. So, the one thing you have to understand, if you don't get anything else out of this particular segment, when you're dealing with that narcissist, you'll know you're dealing with them as soon as you start up a conversation with them or as soon as you start texting them and it turns to them and them only and everything you say is dismissed because you're not enough, you don't know enough, you're not sharp enough, at that point, 
they look at you as being somebody that's inferior and therefore that would be your place in the relationship. that person's equal. Take care, folks. All right, let's talk about how to determine whether or not you have poor boundaries. A lot of people don't think about this. When you're brought up by your parents, the values you learn from the environment in which you grew up in. And they vary from person to person. Now, here's the thing you have to understand, too. It's also impacted by the way you experience life. Trauma, catastrophic events, witnessing something that was very traumatic, all these things will have an impact on your boundaries in some way, form, in your future. You may have grown up in a home where it was dysfunctional and toxic. And you may have boundaries that reflect that level of toxicity in your life. So you'll be willing more so to take on an abusive relationship than a person who never was exposed to that. So it varies. Now what we're going to do is talk about some of the most common elements that are indicative of you having poor boundaries. One of the first one, not being able to make a decision. Decision making skills. You know, ladies, how I get on you about the first uh, podcast I made was about the four questions in order to make better decisions on the man you're dating. Who am I? What's my purpose? Strengths and weaknesses? What are my intentions? You may want to go back and review that. Because here's the thing. Whenever you are in a situation where you cannot make a decision for yourself and you like to defer it to others, you are in a position where you have poor boundaries. See, what you're supposed to do is take the opinion from others, make an assessment, and then you make the decision. This is the reason why I stress those four questions and you can go back on the podcast and listen to them and that will give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Now, here's another thing too to keep in mind. If that person realizes that they can have a pretty good amount of influence on your decision, they're going to always steer it in their direction to benefit them first. This is how people who always claim that they've been used and abused by partners and that kind of thing, where he ran up my credit cards and all this, this is where it starts. This is the causation of it. Now, you have to remember also there's another element here that we don't talk about. People who have poor boundaries also have low self-esteem. And they may not want to admit it, but that's what it is. They may be rebellious. Especially teenagers in this age group. Parents tell them what's right from wrong. 
They don't want to hear it because now they've been able to think things out for themselves. And they don't like the rules that mom and dad have put out. So they're going to be rebellious. They don't like the decisions that mom and dad have made for them. But they have doubt. They're still fostering doubt about their decisions. So they go and they may consult another influencer. You know, the good girl that winds up with the bad guy. The kid that's on the other side of the tracks. And she's entertained by him. She's beguiled by him. He's very charismatic. He's very handsome and narcissistic a bit. And then what does he do? Makes the decisions for her. You're going to be my woman. You're going to get on the back of my motorcycle. You're going to start smoking. You're going to start drinking. Now, this falls into the next category. Appeasing. People pleasing. This is very important to this person. Because they want to be accepted. They want to fit in. And this is the way they will do it. By complying. So they start to smoke. They start to drink. Use four letter words. And things that she once feared. She now embraces. Because see that insecurity she had about facing these challenges. It's like facing your fears. Parents tell her, don't hang around with bad people. Don't hang around with drugs, guns, and cigarette and alcohol. And they're do- she's doing this now as a challenge to herself. Just like those people when they have uh, self-esteem and affirmation issues. They go and they walk over these hot coals. This is what this is, facing your fears. So she goes and she does this to prove a point. And she's appeasing this guy. Anything he says, she's pretty much agreeing with. She's having sex with him unprotected. She's doing all these things in order to make him happy. So that she will be accepted and she will fit in. Now, the next thing, you'd be surprised how many marriages exist on that premise. The next thing, there's a loss of self. She doesn't believe in herself, so she has to believe in someone else. And that bad guy that she's with, that's who she's believing in. Because he is her Messiah. He's the one that's making things right for her. He is the guy that's going to be the catalyst in her life to change it, to get her from the dregs of her parents' mindset and rules. And so this sounds good on the surface. But if you really look at it, she doesn't know who she is. So if she loses him, if he gets killed or if he goes to jail, she has a loss of identity. And she's going to wander around into another relationship until someone sees, oh, she doesn't know what the hell she's going or doing. She doesn't have any boundaries or any values or any standards. Let me just grab this up and continue. <clears throat> this is how these women go into multiple relationships over and over and over again, getting used. And they'll tell you, fellas, a lot of times, yeah, I've been abused in all my relationships I've been used. That's because the pattern of behavior had been set because they had no standards or poor standards. And see, the sad thing about it, 
the way this all starts, they will have a person who may have the same standards and values that they have starting out, like with their parents. They don't want those guys because they're square. They don't want those guys because they're too conventional. But what they will do is lower the standards for the guy that is subpar that they want. It's more or less like the, the girl in the hood that wants a thug. She had Christian values growing up. But that's not risky enough. That doesn't give her an identity. And this is what she seeks. She doesn't want to be the pastor's wife growing up. No, she wants to be the baddest drug dealer's wife in town. Because she got that street credit. She'll get more respect. That's what it comes down to. So that guy who has the same standards as she had from the parents, she's not interested in him. And he would have to meet the lower standards in order to be with her. And this is what you saw manifest with that Oscar slap. Even though Will Smith was a prominent actor with all these accolades, he acted like a thug for his woman. You got me? So that insecurity, it reared his ugly head. Because he was known for being a good guy. He wasn't known for slapping no one. And sadly, a lot of women thought that that was a heroic thing that he did. And it wasn't. That was a cowardice thing he did. Because what happened from that, he realized after he did it, what a fool he was. But it cost him. And this is what happens when you deal with someone with poor boundaries. You sink to their level. Whether you love them, whether you're married to them or not. Now, the next thing, oversharing. This is something that people will do in order to curry favor as well. And what this means is, we'll give the example of the good girl with the bad guy. Instead, we're still using that example. Well, he's short on cash, low on money on his motorcycle, doesn't have money for cigarettes and beer anymore. And she tells him, well, you know, mom and dad have a safe. We can go and just um, go to their place and rob them and get the, get the money out the safe. Oh, honey, that's a good idea. This oversharing has to do with sharing information with that person that's making a decision for you. That person you're kissing up to and trying to appease. It's like you're feeding this God. And so you're doing all this. You're making the sacrifices for this person. So by sharing information, and this is what is weaponized against you, and a lot of people don't realize this, against those people who don't really have it together, this is what they will use to weaponize to keep you in check. Because now they're going to know things about you that could hurt you if they revealed it. But you're sharing this because you want to fit in. You want to be liked. 
You want to be loved. You want to be coddled. And this is all on you. But just remember, everything you tell them is a weapon for them to use against you. Because let's look at it. You've given them permission to make the decisions for you. Yes, you did. You've appeased and pleased them. That's on you. You've pretty much let them know that you had no confidence in your own self. So you didn't have an identity. Now you do. You're the bad boy's girlfriend. So you get that street credit as if that has some value. And you start to realize subcultures very have very seldom have any kind of intrinsic value when it comes to mainstream society. You look at rap and hip-hop, what did they do? They sanitized it for the commercial market. And then they packaged it with what? People that didn't look like the people that made the music originally, right? Well, the same thing happens when it comes down to something like this as well. So... Now, let's go on here. When we start talking about the situation where you're oversharing, you also have to consider this, too. You're going to share detrimental things that will hurt other people. In other words, you're getting back your vengeance, you're talking about your parents in some type of way with this individual. And you've seen it on these movies, Snap, and all the rest of these shows where the woman tells the boyfriend about how bad she's been abused of being in trouble of being treated by this other person and then he gets angry and he's going out there and taking his dumb ass to take care of the situation now here's the thing if she ever loses him she's lost and ladies by the way this can go in reverse where a man could be in this situation as well where the woman can be the lead and the man can be the follower. We see this a lot with more younger people because we have a lot of women that are heading households and therefore that man defers to that woman as the leader. Pressure girlfriends. And she's making them demands such as, I want you to go out there and give me three bodies and then I'll date you. Meaning that she wants him to kill three people before she dates him. There are girls throughout these urban areas that require that of some guys. And these guys are going to do it to fit in. They're letting these women make decisions on their future. They're trying to please and appease these women. And they're oversharing by telling them what they've done for them. So if that woman's ever called up to be a witness in court, she's going to always turn state's evidence and make him the bad guy. He goes to jail. She goes out and gets another man. While he's isn't trying to protect his booty, she's going to be out there in the city looking for the next penis to go inside of her. Now, another thing too. You're going to have passive-aggressive behavior in this individual. That's the next thing. Now, these people sometimes 
deliberately get into these situations or subconsciously, depending on the individual. Because you like the good versus evil fight. What that means primarily is that they still perceive themselves as good. And then after they get in, they have a falling out with their partner or something of that sort, something they don't like, or they haven't been able to express themselves because they've given this person so much power. Now they start subversive, passive-aggressive maneuvers. Lying. Omitting. Deflecting. Cheating in some cases. Snitching. In order to get their vibe in, to get their voice heard, to get them where they can assert themselves. Because, see, you have to remember, as they go along with this situation here, they've been coping with everything these, this person has established for them. But guess what they're doing also? They're now realizing the things that they're coping with, the things they don't like and don't like, and they're now trying to structure an actual set of boundaries within that person's boundaries that have already set for them. And so they're like, well, okay, I'm at this point now. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of doing that. And this is where a lot of these teenage girls grow out of that bad boy relationship. Let's say he's going to jail now. And she realizes damn, I'm getting into this too. I'm, I'm in too deep as well. So I have to figure out a way of backpedaling out of this. What's the next thing that comes up? Anger. Frustration. They're mad at themselves for giving that person so much power, so much influence. They're upset with the fact that they had control and they gave everything to that one person. And that one person, as they're going to frame it, took it away from them. Not that they gave it away. Oh, no. Because that means they would have to be responsible and accountable. So he took that away from them. So take, for instance, he has to go to court now for murder and burglary. What she's going to say is he forced me. He influenced me. He manipulated me. He, 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 he. And I don't mean Michael Jackson. He, he. Damn, that was horrible. But that's what happens. And so it's a cycle. And now they have this outline of standards that they're going to now try to apply going forward in life. Now I want you to understand one thing. This was a life experience they had, right? They had it at a teenage in a teenage uh, time frame. Now, they're going into adulthood. So let's look at some of the things that they would accept and some of the things they won't. They went through the bad boy situation, so the bad boy was still qualified in their boundaries. 
because what they've realized, they've been there, done that, but they also have the mindset that all bad boys aren't bad. So they're going to be a little bit liberal on that. But what are they going to tighten up on? They're going to tighten up on making the decisions. They may be a little bit more assertive. They're going to take on the characteristics that they were exposed to, but on a dominant side when they go into their next relationship. You're not going to make decisions for me. I'm going to make my own decisions. They're going to be fiercely independent in most cases. That's going to be one thing. The next thing, when it comes down to people pleasing, no, the person's going to have to please them this time around. They're not pleasing anyone else. Because now they got a little confidence going. They might even be a little narcissistic. Sense of self. They're going to have that. Even if it's fragmented, even if they don't believe in it, it's going to be something that they're going to establish. They're going to have their identity. So what are they looking for in this case? When it comes down to a relationship, they're looking for someone weaker. That they can impose what was imposed on them onto that person. And this is how it rolls downhill. So this person will have a say on when they get pregnant. They may even tell the guy, hey, you know what? We're going to have a baby next week. Because they want someone, but they're going to be very careful about the person they select. Because it's going to have to be someone who had the same characteristics she had early on. Got to be weak in order to establish that dominance. And then after you've gone through that cycle, guess what? After they break up, if they do, he's going to go in for that same kind of thing with the next person. And that's the way it perpetuates itself. We'll talk more in a moment. Now let's talk about effective communications. That's going to be a real big deal when it comes to your relationships. Now, a lot of people like to start out with what is called the win-win strategy. In other words, you're compromising in the conversation where both of you will come out winners in it. And this works every once in a while, but now here's the catch. Don't think that this strategy is going to always work because there are going to be some difficult situations where it's going to take a lot more work than just uh, the basics. Now, here's the thing that I will tell you also. A lot of people have written in this show talking about, well, you know, you're dealing with analysis paralysis with a lot of your stuff. You're overthinking things. But here's the thing. Would you rather overthink than underthink? Because I will tell you this much. Most of you underthinking left to almost 150,000 emails coming to this show ever since November 19, 2019. So apparently, something is not working that people have tried. Because if it was, 
my email inbox would be empty. So it's only obvious that what I'm doing is in some way valid for some people. Now, so the win-win strategy is one of the ideal strategies that we would prefer where you guys reach and compromise and like I've told you before you take out two sheets of paper if you have a dispute you write down what the problem is on each sheet to make sure it's the right thing that you guys are disputing exchange the sheet write your immediate resolution to it exchange the sheets again then write down your first compromise exchange the sheets again write down your second compromise exchange the sheets again write down your third compromise now from that after you exchange sheets once more you're going to write down what you would think would be a solution that is fair then you'd write that down and you'd exchange sheets and then from there you'd write down what your offer would be in order to resolve the problem and then you exchange and then but by this point you have narrowed it down where you guys have agreed on something both sign it sign both copies get a refrigerator magnet put it on the refrigerator and hold each other to that standard that you've established now you can try that and see if that works for some of you it will others it will not now another one is the use of the I statement and communications with your partner now remember communications equals to community so remember that and you're gonna to have to have consideration in there as a vital component we'll talk about that in a moment but here's the thing the I statement instead of you saying well you know if it wasn't for your drinking as an example you could say something to the effect of I just hope that it was not me that caused you to start drinking in other words you're taking ownership on something where you're using an I statement where it doesn't sound like you're accusing them of something because usually in, in disputes what do we do you did this you did that because we want to sit back and wipe our hands and say we didn't have nothing to do with that that was all you no you're in the relationship together in that community so that means that the two of you are going to have to take equal responsibility in the conversation in order for it to go forward now the other thing you have to understand is understanding that um, excuse me for a moment there I was kind of looking at something here understanding that communication is bi-directional now what that means is that you want to be able to communicate and you don't want to have long drawn-out paragraphs you want to have something where you communicate something wait for their response listen to them and then you communicate back to them but here's the thing your tone the way you respond you want to be calm so that the two of you can effectively communicate where you can understand each other and appreciate each other's appreciate each other's opinion or view now if you're pointing out something that's illogical don't call them stupid 
don't personalize it by using derogatory terms or names in order to, you know, belittle them. Just say, hey, honey, you know, this won't work because let's go by this logic here. If we did this this way, then we would have to worry about this. Let the illogical thing be the objective, the object, instead of that person. So in that way, they don't feel objectified. Don't bottle up your feelings. Don't sit there and just brood and listen to the person and then you shut down and don't communicate, don't say anything. You're just looking at your partner while they're talking. And then you say something like, no, you're, you're expressing yourself. You're, you're just going on. You're just mouthing off and you're just saying what you feel and I'm just sitting here listening. And then when you open up, oh, you, you're visceral. You're going for the jugular. You just, that accomplishes nothing. That passive aggressive thing accomplishes nothing. You're so angry, you're lashing out, you literally want to cut their throats verbally. Don't do it. Don't put yourself in that. What you want to do is be able to express yourself in real time. Don't hold it up, don't bottle it up, don't bring up stuff that was 20 years ago and you're throwing it in there now. You know, like parents in the old South used to go and they'd spank a child. And they'd bring up shit when the child was like five years old and the child is 10 getting a whooping. Because at that point, that person will feel as though, I can't trust this individual because they're going to bring shit up from the past. So I'm going to shut my communications down. And that's how it happens. So you don't want to get to that point. Now, don't make assumptions. So if you don't know the facts to something, please do not assume and start pointing the finger at your partner as if you know it to be a fact. Because I will tell you, by doing this, the only thing you're doing is creating distance between the two of you. It's creating more friction. Well, I don't know. You went out with your girlfriend, so I guess you went out there and screwed somebody else. How, how, how do I know? You don't have any proof of that. Now, bringing that up, you've now assumed that your partner did something. And so, you've given them the creative license where if they went out and cheated, they'll say, well, yeah, I went on and did it because after all, you were going to accuse me of it anyway. This is how a lot of women get caught up in revenge cheating. Once they're accused of it, you'd be surprised how many of them will do it, especially if they have caught you or suspect that you have cheated on them. They will do this. And they deliberately will go out and give that man all the sexual favors possible. As a result, most women, when they do revenge cheating, they will only do oral, or not oral, but anal or vaginal sex. A lot of them will not do oral. Once that I looked at, because they're afraid of catching something. They just want to hurt the person where the person's with them physically. Now, some will do oral, but usually it's vaginal or anal. Okay, let's go on here. Another aspect. You want to avoid ultimatums. I can't stress this enough. Because, see, what you're doing is, at this point, you're daring your partner to do something. And this is never a healthy thing. 
Because, see, that partner is going to go and challenge you on that. And the reason why they're going to challenge you on that, even if it works to their disadvantage to challenge you on that ultimatum, they're going to do it. Because how dare you tell me I can't do something? How dare you tell me I have to do something? And especially in American culture, what do we do with that? We take that as a challenge, as a dare, as an ultimatum, right? Now, you have to be very careful about how you respond to ultimatums because there are some people who set them up deliberately for you to do the same behavior that they expect you to do. They expect you to go against it. That's the reason why they set it up that way. And then when you fall into that trap, that's why they wanted you. So be careful on how you respond to ultimatums. I personally don't accept them. I let the person know up front that I'm not in ultimatums. And if I'm given one, the relationship's over because I'm not no longer participating in it. Because there are more people out there that I can get along with without an ultimatum than you that I can. <clears throat> Plain and simple. Mirroring is another one. Now, you have to be careful with mirroring. <clears throat> That's when you're kind of bringing the sentiments down to about the same level as the person. Partner's having an issue. You're now lowering the tone of the conversation. You're talking to each other. You're asking questions. Uh, the person may communicate something with you. You're using their words to communicate back with them in the same kind of tone. So in that way, is not so uh, escalated. And so you're trying to make it where the two of you can have a sensible dialogue with each other. Now, this is all well and good. The only thing is, I would advise you strongly not to patronize your partner doing this. Because some people will do this, especially narcissists. When they're trying to get back with their girl because they overstepped a boundary and now they're trying to get back. Oh, they're going to go and they're going to try to be as sympathetic as possible. They're going to listen to them and they're going to feel their pain and they're going to express empathy and all the rest. But what it comes down to, in essence, they're just doing that to get back in your good graces to slap you again. Now, this is an effective tool to use when it comes down to communicating with your partner. For instance, take for instance, they may have held out on the fact that they may have a, a disease or something that they didn't want to share with you. This is when mirroring is very important. When it's a situation where you can identify with that partner's plight and you can help them with it. Some people even use it after the person's had an affair. Especially if they've cheated on the partner at some point as well. It happens. Now, you got to choose your words carefully. This is vital on how you talk to that person. Things not to bring up. Words not to use. Not trigger words. If this person had been abused in their past, don't bring up those trigger words that you know good and well would set them off in a certain direction. Be mindful, be respectful, be careful. Some words may not be appropriate because they may be a little bit too rough. Now, this is one area I'll admit that I have a problem with sometimes in relationships because I'm very frank. And many times it kind of rubs people the wrong way 
And I don't do it to be mean, but what I do is to do it so that they will understand what it actually conveys. Because that's what's important. The message, what I'm trying to tell them. Just like they would tell me. So you have to watch how you frame things, how you set things up, how you say things. Like, for instance, at the end of, the, of a dispute where you guys have come up to a resolution, don't say something like, well, yeah, well, now from now on, you'll know better. Don't say nothing like that. Just say, well, you know what? This is something we can start together in the new beginning with. Something that's more collaborative. Again, communications is designed for communities. That's what it's used for. Now, the last one. Well, no, I'm sorry, not the last one. Avoiding hot topics. Now, we know what this is. Avoiding triggers. Avoiding things that will definitely start an argument. People are notorious for this. You get heated and you start bringing up things Well, if your mother wouldn't have moved in, we would have had more money to go on vacation. Well, if you wouldn't have bought that damn Ski-Doo, we would have been... And then before you know it, you're bringing up old stuff that's coming in. And then when a person cannot win an argument, they will always come in with old stuff. That's key. Or irrelevant things. No one wins in an argument. Basically what happens is you just try to hurt each other as badly as you can verbally. So what's the use? So you want to keep some topics off, especially affairs. Because ladies, you know that's the first thing you go for if a man has had an affair on you. Now as a man, if we go on that affair tip with you and you've had an affair on us, at that point, what that means, ladies, and I'm going to put it to you in bold letters, he never got over it. He will never forgive you for it. That's what it comes down to. And some of you ladies are like that with your men. And if you're at that point where you're still holding on to that, well, the only thing I can tell you is this. When you told him you forgave him, when you told him that that's in the past, you lied. Same thing with you ladies. Same thing with you guys that tell the ladies this. You've lied. If you've ever said you've forgiven them and it's in the past and it's old news or whatever, and you bring it up during an argument, you're lying. Plain and simple. So let those things lay in the background. Active listening is the next one. This is crucial. Now, what is active listening? That means that you're not just nodding your head like on the first day, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh. That means you're paying attention. You're asking questions. You're asking follow-up questions. You're wanting to find out more. You're taking an interest in what that person's saying. They're listening to your feedback. And the comments that you're giving them is, in a way, constructive. You're not using a lot of destructive uh, comments in that. You're being more um, positive in your approach. Now, the other one. Being aware of your body language. 
Ladies, let me tell you something never to do during an argument with a man. When you fold your arms, rolling your eyes, and sighing, what we see at that point is you're just like any other chick out there on the street because we're accustomed to being rejected. And when we see that, the first thing we think is, hell, there's no need of talking to her. This is a waste of time. That's the way we're thinking about it. That's the way we're looking at it. And so, from that perspective, you don't carry any weight anymore. We're done. Fellas, we walk away. Now, ladies, let me explain something to you. This is what a double standard is. You can yell all you want to to us during an argument. You can roll your eyes, you can sigh, you can say whatever, whatever you do. But here's the thing. When that man walks away from the situation, don't call him a coward. Don't call him a bitch. Don't call him all these other derogatory names that try to hit him or throw something at him. push. Because what he's doing at that point is saving your life a lot of times by leaving. Because if he turns around on you, God knows what he probably will do. Let him go at that point. He will come back at some other point and talk to you. Because you have to remember, men don't get an opportunity to express themselves like women do. We don't. Oh yes, the younger generation does. They can emo all day long. But a guy in his 40s and up, no, uh-uh. It's not a good look. Especially you young women that are dating older men. Don't do it. Do not do it, I'm telling you. Just let that guy go off, blow off some steam or whatever, and then come back and you guys can talk about it later. And then you can set some standards, some parameters, before you have conflict. Hey, we're never going to raise our voices with each other. We're never going to curse each other out. We're never going to do it in front of our kids. And as you structure your arguments, guess what happens? They become a little bit more civil. And you guys can actually work together and have something that really works instead of something that's just put together as a ragtag deal. Now, the one thing that I would suggest for all of you, if you're encountering all these things and you still haven't been able to resolve it, Seek out professional help. Go to a therapist. Go to a licensed therapist. Someone who can really help you through it. Because that's going to be one of the things that you will need the most. Someone where you have an intermediary that does not have a bias. Because family members do. Friends do. You don't need that. You need someone that's going to be totally out of the mix. Don't have a dog in the fight. And they're trying to get you back together and seeing whether or not it will work or whether or not you guys need to be apart. Plain and simple. Because that will help you. And a lot of you say, well, I don't want people in my business. But yet you'll be the very people that will go and tell your best friend what had happened, tell your mother, tell your brother, your daddy, or whoever what had happened, and think that in some way that's going to be the cure-all. And the only thing that happens with it, they form an opinion, and now... You have an alliance instead of really a resolution. So in any case, folks, 
These are about 12 different items that will help you when it comes down to being more effective when it comes to communication in a relationship. Take care. Now, one thing that we have to also keep in mind, folks, is this. You know those company meetings you've had on Zoom and different social media platforms? Guess what has happened? Relationships have developed from those interactions. And I know some of you are asking how. I want you to think about it. And some of you have written in about this. And I didn't want to give away some of your company names and so forth. So I'm not going to start mentioning But here's what's happened. A lot of these individuals never met each other in the company. And when they've had these online meetings, 2020, 2021, they were able to see people that they had never met and that they've talked to on the phone for years. And there were some that have written in about relationships starting up based on that. There was one guy that wrote about how he was so enamored with this woman that he had been talking to for years and had no idea that she was so attractive. And as they started to talk offline, they really started a bond. So eventually he asked for a transfer and moved to the town in which she lived in. And now they're talking about getting married next summer. It can happen this way as well, folks. And the thing is, a lot of relationships that you build at work, and you hear a lot of people talk about, well, I'd never date anybody at work. Well, you really think about it. A lot of times you're spending more time at work with that person as far as concentrated time with an individual than you are with your own family. Or that you are with even your girlfriend or boyfriend. So you get a chance to know that person a lot better and a lot more intimately than their partner. How many times have you studied and had a study partner and you and that study partner knew more about each other than that than you and your girlfriend did about each other or you and your boyfriend did about each other? Because you feel as though you can talk about things and not have to worry about being judged. See, with a partner, you have to consider being judged, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are not so open with their feelings, because of that one particular element. The women that used to come up to me and talk to me about their marital situations and relationships, a lot of them did that because they didn't have to worry about being judged by me. They didn't know me, so I had no authority to judge them. People will open up to a stranger and shut up around a friend. You'll see it happen a lot of times. Not always, because you have some of those people that don't care, and they overshare with everyone. And those are the individuals that usually wind up with the knives in their backs, and you have to go and take them out one by one. There's so many. Now, another thing, too, that has been brought up and I'm trying to answer as many of your inquiries as possible. When you ask about 
an individual that you may be dating, for instance, who no longer is um, so active in your life. In other words, in the beginning of the relationship, in the first 90 days, you can't turn for them. They're calling all the time. You're calling each other every day. You're calling each other every other hour or so. And then it starts to taper off where you don't talk to each other for a few days. Then it goes down to a week. What has happened at this point? The magic is gone in the relationship. The expectations are over. Now you're dealing with a state of normalcy. This is the way your relationship is going to be from now on. Bland and mundane. Now, you can try to spark it up. The partner will probably try to spark it up. Maybe. But what you have to remember is this. It usually starts with one party first. You go, you text that person, you call them, you leave a voicemail. You don't hear nothing back. You do it a second time, you don't hear nothing back. Third time, then you get a text message that's very brief. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, nothing, nothing's changed. Same old thing, working every day, etc., etc. At this point, something else is preoccupying their time over you. So you've lost your place. It's just like being on a sports team and then realize when you go into practice that you've been demoted. That's what's happened. Now, it will get to a point where you probably don't hear from that person for about two weeks at a time. And when they come back, it's usually because of something they need. When you start getting into these utilitarian relationships, because that's what this is, that means that now you only serve a purpose for them. You're an object at that point. They want to go out with you. Yeah, they want to go out with you because you're paying for dinner. If you're a guy. If you're a lady and a guy calls you, that's because he probably went down his list of women and you were the only one available. And the reason why people do this is because it's the wow factor. And these are the very same people that will tell you things such as, I don't want to get into sex too soon. I don't want to get too serious too soon. These are the people that will go out and tell you all these things. And they are good with excuses. Not plausible excuses. Bullshit excuses that they expect you to believe in along with everyone else. Now, many of you have written in about this particular thing. Some of you have been ghosted based on this. And usually when they start tapering off their interaction, they're getting ready to ghost you. They're getting ready to leave. They're only coming back to you when things didn't go well with their plans, with whomever they structured them with. But what you have to remember is this. As you become irrelevant, let them know this. And then end it. End the relationship. Don't be timid to do so. Well, I'm out here working my ass off doing this, doing that, doing this. They're not that damn busy where they can't contact you. They're busy because they're preoccupied with other things that benefit them over being with you. 
See, the thing is, is that you're no longer a priority. And you know what I say about priorities. When you don't become a priority, you get excuses. The priority gets the attention. So when this starts to happen, don't hold your life up. Start looking for someone else. Seriously. That's energy you can save and get someone else that's a lot more responsible. Because that's what it comes down to. You cannot make an irresponsible person responsible. Don't try it. Don't try it. Because, see, you're dealing with a comfort zone that this person has been accustomed to for most of their lives. More so than they have an interaction with you. Behaviors, addictions, insecurities are things that have been with people for a very long time. They're just like a habit. Hard to break. And guess who has to do it? They do, not you. So don't put yourself in that predicament because many of you have ridden in, you've been hanging on for people for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, and the thing started tapering off. They've lost interest in you and found interest in something else or someone else. And you'll be surprised also how overextended people may be. And this is what assist in that preoccupation. Because if you got a person who once again, who can't make decisions, as I've talked about in the past podcast, someone who doesn't really have an identity, and they're trying to cling on to anything to get this identity, get this thing going, someone who's a people pleaser, and they're trying to please everybody under the sun. Which means they don't even prioritize themselves. So how the hell could they prioritize a relationship? They can't. And so what this does, it puts you in an awkward place in a relationship with them. Because it's like you have this long shot of a horse that you're betting on that more than likely won't even make it to the starting gate. Probably scratch the horse before the race even starts. Unless it's a Todd Fletcher horse, maybe, or Bob Baffert horse. But what I'm getting at is this. Overall, these people lack control. Self-control and control of their lives or environment. They'll throw their fate to God. They'll throw their fate to the person that comes into their lives that is more charismatic than they are but guess what they won't do they won't think and actually actively participate in their lives for themselves and sadly a lot of you ladies will find these guys very handsome and charismatic some of you guys will find these women very fine and the reason why they're emphasizing their physical appearance is because that's all they have, really. That's all they take pride in. Because anybody can come into their lives and take the driver's seat and control it, drive them anywhere they want to. Because they don't have that focus. And again, they go through that cycle. 
and they do not actually assert themselves until after they have gone through a bad situation in a relationship. It never fails. And then they set up these boundaries again because the one thing you have to remember about these types of folks, a lot of them don't have boundaries. That's the reason why they'll go and start a relationship with you, leave you in the sand and go on some with someone else. There was an email that I received from a guy out of Texas. He asked me not to read his email. This was about last year. And what had happened, he had met this woman and they had actually started dating. And after a while, she stopped communicating with him. And he was under the impression she was married, etc., etc. Well, the reason why this woman quit communicating with him was that she went down to Florida from Texas. And she decided one day just to, on a whim, to move to Florida, get an apartment, start her life over. She calls him up about two months later or so and tells him what she had done and for, for him to come down to Florida to visit her. So he goes down to Florida to visit her and he was so happy to still be in her company and everything. And then she tells him, if you want to be with me, you're going to have to move to Florida. I'm not living back in Texas. Well, I guess it's better judgment. Really, he didn't have a leg to stand on this relationship. He moved down Florida from Texas. He gets down there and things are going well with them for about a week or so. And then she tells him, you know, I don't like Florida anymore. I'm moving back to Texas. Why don't we move back to Texas? He's wondering what the hell happened in Florida. Well, what happened, she had a secondary relationship with the person she met online who lived in Florida. She rented an apartment down there she got upset with him because the guy wanted to break it off because he was married. So she went and got old tried true sucker to come out from Texas to come down with her in order to try to make him jealous. Well, that didn't make him budge, so she got frustrated. Now she wants to go back to Texas. So she dragged this guy back to Texas. They get back to Texas. They're living together. She starts out by establishing another relationship with another guy out of another state. And what this guy wrote me about was, why was she doing this to him? And he didn't quite understand. She was looking for someone to guide her. And she didn't look upon him as being the guy that was really qualified to lead her. And there's some people that are like that. They want to be taken care of, but they also want to be led. And she didn't feel as though he had the chops in order to do it. And so he was nothing more than a vehicle to be used. And sometimes you have to go and call it for what it is before you get too involved. And he had wasted all that money traveling. He wasted all that money selling everything and 
then coming back, having to buy everything. And then they wound up living together, and now she's talking about moving out, going somewhere else. What it comes down to, folks, is this. If you run across somebody that can't make decisions, that's always trying to please you, that has no sense of self or identity, there's a good possibility you're dealing with someone that has no standards. And if you're dealing with that individual, approach with caution. Because anything can come in their lives and take control of it while you're in a relationship with them. It could be someone with a religious influence. It could be someone with a cult influence. It could be someone that can lie to her or lie to him and sweep them off their feet because they're very nebulous. They're not going to be able to focus. As soon as you see that trait or that characteristic, it's time for you to pull back and really think about yourself and your future. Because you can't save everybody. You damn sure can't save somebody that don't want to save themselves. Take care, folks. It was good. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.